Well, good morning again, and thank you, Jeff. Uh, man, those deacons are busy guys, aren't they? Uh, they're, they're pretty awesome. I know when I had my shoulder surgery, uh, a crew came and mowed and trimmed and, uh, and, and did some things there for me. I appreciate it. I was able to do, and uh, they're available to help out. And, and also, if you hear of needs in our church family, uh, don't feel like that uh, you have to necessarily fulfill that yourself. We do have our deacons are prepared to help out. So uh, thanks a lot for, for all that you guys do. Well, here we are. We're at the end of this study on the Sermon on the Mount. We've been at it for almost 14 weeks now. It uh, doesn't seem possible. We're wrapping it up. And next week, of course, is Easter. Uh, but we're going to wrap up uh, this study today. You know, several years ago, one afternoon, I was at home and I got a frantic call from my father. And uh, my father said he had received a, a phone call from our son, Kyle, and Kyle had gone to the Dominican Republic. He had gotten into a wreck and needed my father to send him several hundred dollars immediately or he's going to be put in, in jail. Now, dad was very worried about uh, our son, as any grandparent would be, of course. And uh, Kyle supposedly didn't want me to know about that uh, because, uh, you know, he didn't want to get in trouble, but he wanted his grandfather to bail him out. Now, you know, our, our son traveled a lot internationally about that time, so I thought it's possible he could have gone to the Dominican Republic and anything's possible. So I called him up. No, he was safe over in the uh, Seattle, uh, other side of the country. And so I called my dad back to relieve his worries about his grandson. It was all all right. Of course, it was a scam, but it really seemed to be real. And my dad was really upset, naturally so. But I explained the scam to him. And I said, Dad, what was it that made you think it was Kyle? And uh, this was the key to it. And he said, well, he called me Grandpa. And I said, Kyle, is that you? <laughs> he said, yes, it is. It's, it's Kyle. And uh, so he, uh, the scammer had a name that strengthened uh, the deception. And uh, I, I found that it was a pretty common scam. A lot of older people are deceived by that. So if anybody, your grandchild ever calls and asks for help, make sure it really is them before you do anything, all right? But you know what? It's easy to all of us to be on the receiving end of a trick or a joke or deception of some sort. Uh, it's interesting this comes right at the end of or the day after April Fool's Day. Maybe somebody got you yesterday in some way, in, uh, in, in a good way. Uh, but you know, some of those jokes are fun, but others of them are very destructive and some are even fatal. And the most fatal deception that anyone can ever experience would have to be a spiritual deception and that's the topic that Jesus chooses to end the Sermon on the Mount with. You know, understand that God's desire that all people would be saved. The Bible's very clear about that. He uh, uh, doesn't want anyone to be lost, but everyone to come to repentance. On the other hand, we have Satan who is determined that he's going to deceive and fool anyone and everyone, those who are in desperate need of the truth. And the key to understanding spiritual deception, if we're going to talk about today, is the fact that oftentimes we choose what we want to believe rather than what the truth really is. And this is, this is the key thing that um, is, is hard for us to understand because we all think and we all have opinions and we all have preferences and comfort zones and desires and everything else, but sometimes we choose what we want to believe in spite of the face of evidence to the contrary. Deception can be defined as the manipulation of appearances that convey a false reality or a false belief system. Spiritual deception is performed throughout the, by the activity or the uh, strategies of Satan. 
It involves satanic power and false signs and wonders, and it deceives people who refuse to love the truth, and it also impacts those who find pleasure in, an, in that of unrighteousness. So that's kind of a description of what spiritual deception is all about. It's what we choose because we naturally, humanly want something, and that's contrary to what the truth is, obviously. So in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is going to talk about spiritual deception here, and he gives us three specific ways that deception can play out and warns us to avoid each one of these. And uh, each of these, I believe, are probably pretty familiar scriptures to us, but uh, perhaps there's a new twist on looking at them. The first deception is we're going to call the wide roads, the wide road. And let's pick that up in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So this is a deception that there are many roads, there are many ways that lead to God. You know, we live in a culture today where people expect to have things done it their way and to get what they want. Uh, we're kind of conditioned to that, you know, give me what I want, what makes me happy. Um, one restaurant used to boast, uh, have it your way. Uh, we know that didn't really happen, but the, the idea was, you know, you tell us what you want, we'll, we'll give it to you, all right? Uh, reported, uh, Starbucks reportedly has over 80,000 different ways you can order a cup of coffee. So we want to just whatever you want, that's, that's what you get, you, you, need, you have it your way. So why can't you come to God any way that you want? I mean, that's the reason, that's the thought, that's the deception. And you know, there are plenty of religious groups who claims to know the way to God. They claim, they say they do, and there's Hinduism and Islam and Buddhism and Judaism, Scientology, and of course, Christianity. And some people say that finding God is like climbing up a mountain. You know, I never had the desire to climb a mountain like that, but there are people who want to climb sheer faces of rock and climb a mountain. And there's not just one way to climb a mountain, right? There's different facets, different sides of a mountain. You can, can go up there, other paths to get to the top. So they look at finding God the same way, and they said that there surely must be more than one way to find God, and, and whatever way works for you, have it your way, right? And the idea is that all roads lead to God. Doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe something, as long as you're sincere. And that's the, uh, you know, it makes sense, it seems to be logical, but you know what, that can't be true. And it simply can't be true because all those major religions are not compatible with each other. They don't agree with each other. They're, the foundations are all different. Muslims don't recognize Jews as God's chosen people, and Jews don't recognize Jesus as God's son. And you can't be a Christian Buddhist or a Muslim Scientologist. You simply can't do that. So everything is contrary to each other, and, and there aren't different ways up the mountain. Those are different mountains. There are different places on the, mount. there, uh, on the map. There's, there's nothing in common with where these religions would take you. And by the way, in what universe do all roads lead to the same place? I mean, that's just dumb, just stupid. <laughs> you can take any road and get to the same place. It's, it's ridiculous. But the world tries to tell us that, and that's the deception that they present. So the wide road that Jesus talks about is going to be the easiest way to get there. It's going to be the, the way, or seemingly the easiest way to get there, and it's going to be heavily traveled. It's what everybody's taking, the road around us. You know, we live in a culturally... Um, a, a lot of pressure in our culture today to be like everybody else. It's amazing that everybody wants to be an individual, but they all want to be like, like everybody else too. 
And what Jesus is telling us is that you're not going to get to heaven by mistake. You're not going to get to heaven by default. You're not going to get to heaven by following everybody else because the reality is the crowd is not going to heaven. The Bible is very clear about that. Only those who use wisdom, those who seek truth and follow Jesus and look for the narrow path, that's the ones that are going to heaven. There's a very clear, very defined road that does not include every worldview, every opinion of mankind, every idea, every competing truth. And that's because God knows how to get to himself and it's God's road and he built it and his road is through Jesus. John chapter 14 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the uniqueness of Christianity. And to be honest with you, that's what makes, that's what drives the world crazy. Because we say this is the way, and they say there should be a lot of ways, or why isn't my way good enough? This is why Christians are kind of held in disdain by the world, because we believe that we have the way. We know the way through Christ, and they refuse to accept the way because it's too, it's too narrow for them. It's too easy to go the wide path when the narrow path is what we have to choose. Jesus is the only way to God. So that's the first deception the world offers. Second deception is false fruit. False fruit. Watch out, Jesus said, for false prophets, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will be recognized them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So the heart of this deception is the appearance of being religious. You know, Jesus railed against religion a lot because religion is the appearance or the deception uh, that you look like you're something when you're really not. So don't be deceived just because somebody is a religious leader because they're not necessarily going to be genuine. We should never forget the example of Jim Jones of the People's Temple back in 1979 that led almost a thousand people to drink the Kool-Aid. Remember that? And almost a thousand people died that day because he was a religious leader, right? Many are false teachers. And you have to judge them, not by what they say, but by their fruit, by their fruit. Now, what does that mean? How do you judge someone's fruit? Well, John Stott is the theologian says there are three things to look at when you judge a person's fruit. First of all, look at their character and their conduct. Look at their character and the conduct. Do the way that, does the way they live their life and what they say, does it match up with what they claim to believe and measured by God's word? Is it consistent with God's word? Secondly, there's the actual teaching that's given. Is a man's wisdom presented or is it God's word? Do they deviate from God's word, which we believe is ultimate truth, or do they stick close to God's word? And thirdly, the effect their teaching has on others. Not just do they draw a crowd, but what is happening in the lives of the hearers? Are lives being transformed? You know, a circus draws a big crowd, right? Used to anyway, uh, but it doesn't change people. You have a good time, and a lot of religious leaders provide that sort of environment, but there is no transformation of lives. Now, many people today who do claim to be Christians 
or in any religion, but, but they also, excuse me, don't claim to be a Christian or any religion, but they do claim to be spiritual. You know, if you do any reading about this, you probably read a title that says The Rise of the Nuns. And that's not a Catholic nun. That's not at all. It's N-O-N-E. But basically what they're saying is that more and more people, if they, when they ask, what is your religious preference, they write none. And that's the rise of the nuns, that more and more people are claiming not to have any affiliation with the church or a, a belief system, but they are spiritual. So false teachers understand that, and they use spiritual language and spiritual ideas and spirituality in general to try to draw a crowd because people want to think about being spiritual. And they are, they're just not religious, right, in some ways. And there are several people who would do this, probably most people you've never, ever heard of, but one of them is actually running for president next year. This is really interesting, and she ran before, but her name is Marianne Williamson. And she and others like her use traditional faith with belief in psychics, reincarnation, and spiritual energy that they say can be found in physical objects like mountains and trees and crystals and things like that. Now, you know, we, we think of that and we say, how absurd. But do you realize that 41% of Americans actually believe in psychics? 41%. It's almost half the people in the country believe in psychics like this. And there's renewed interest in the occult as well. Because whenever you deviate from Christianity, you, there's a very short hop over to the occult. Now, how do you recognize the false teaching of the occult? Because there's a, another power, the power of God and power of darkness. So how do we recognize the teaching of the occult? First of all, there is a claim that there is unknown information that's unavailable to human beings through normal means. And so this involved things like horoscopes, fortune-telling, psychic hotlines, tarot cards, Ouija boards, and all these things, they seem to be entertainment, but they're not toys or innocent fun. I read a recent article about several teens in Colombia, the country, who reportedly suffered signs of fainting, anxiety, and other symptoms after playing with the Ouija board. Kind of interesting that that made international news. But the reality was it was very significant. There were a lot of them. It had become kind of a thing over there. And the, the power that the occult taps into is demonic. And that's the reason why they were anxious and why they were, why they were troubled. Deuteronomy chapter 18 says, let no one be found among you who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engage in witchcraft or cast spells, or who is a medium, or a spiritualist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. So when you see that on TV, and you're tempted to call that hotline, or that number to see exactly what they tell you, or you want to check your horoscope, or you want to check out, you know, a, a, a spiritualist of some sort, Think about that last statement that anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Second mark of the occult is a placing of persons in contact with supernatural powers, paranormal energy, or demonic forces. This talks about things like attempting to summon up a spirit or a deceased relative through a seance or channeling some spirit or going to a medium of some sort. So what happens when you try to contact a dead person, and this isn't all that unusual, people try that, it, what happens if you are supposedly contacting someone, number one, you are either being deceived 
and lied to, and they're taking your money, or you're in contact with a demon. Because there are demonic powers as well as heavenly powers as well. Now, we need to know this because here's the thing. We can all say yes, but we have brothers and sisters in Christianity who do this and who try this. This is the problem. Demonic force. A third mark of the occult is an attempt to gain and master paranormal power in order to manipulate or influence other people into certain actions. This would include all forms of witchcraft and the casting of spells. Today, we call this Wicca. This is witchcraft. Again, the Bible prohibits anyone dealing in the occult or witchcraft. And I want to tell you, it breaks my heart. Unfortunately, we have had false teachers. We have had wolves dressed as sheep in our church community in past years who have misled some of our youth. That is heartbreaking. They are no longer here. I will tell you that. But they're probably in every church. But they're not in our church. Look what Jesus says about these false teachers. Luke chapter 17, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with the millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. That's the warning that needs to be given. And all of us need to keep this in mind about influencing or misdirecting or misleading anyone in this area. Every believer needs to know the danger of spiritual deception. There are false teachers uh, that the Bible calls wolves dressed as sheep who will teach the occult and false teachings that are either okay, that they're acceptable, or they're innocent. You know, in the realm of the church, I think this is fascinating. I hadn't thought about this, but in the realm of the church, there are three types of people. There are sheep. The Bible talks about us being sheep. It says we all like sheep have gone astray. Jesus was a good shepherd. He talked about sheep. There are sheep who are Christians who are trusting and willing to follow. But the Bible also says that there are goats in the flock, right? Uh, the Bible says that on the judgment day that Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats. So there are goats. And who are the goats? Well, the goats are the ones that hang out with the sheep. You all the time see sheep and goats together, right? Uh, but they're not Christians. They're not believers. Goats are troublemakers, and they're kind of on the fence about Christ. They're kind of indifferent. They're kind of rebellious. Sometimes they're speaking up against the church or against church leadership. And every church has goats. There are goats. Sometimes a goat can become a sheep. It's possible, not in reality, but in the Christian world, you know, you can swing and you can become a sheep, a follower of Christ. And then there are wolves who mingle with the sheep. And wolves are not indifferent. They are intentional and they are hostile to the church. They're hostile to God and they're hostile to Christians and to the gospel. And you have to beware because sometimes there are wolves who are disguised as sheep, wolves in sheep clothing, right? I'll tell you, in, in 40 years of ministry almost, I have seen my share of wolves in the church. Sometimes it takes a while to figure out a wolf. If a wolf is a sheep or if they're a goat or if they're truly a wolf, And part of church leadership is identifying wolves and sending them packing. And that may seem harsh sometimes, but that's what leaders are called to do. Because if not, wolves will destroy the church. So there is, boy, this is a heavy topic, isn't it, you know? Uh, So there is deception and danger from wolves in the church. But you know what? It's multiplied when we consider that these wolves are not just human beings who are troublemakers, but they're engaged in the supernatural world. 
That's what it says in Ephesians 6, where our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not just a personality problem or somebody causing the problems, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So there are people who are led by Satan, just like there are people who are led by the Holy Spirit. Because there are only two forces. One side is God and his faithful angels. And on the other side is the world of darkness, the paranormal, the occult, which is the world of Satan and his demons. Now, obviously, why is there deception? Because Satan doesn't present himself as an angel of darkness, but as an angel of light. The Bible says he masquerades in that way. He presents himself as good and desirable and and, uh, and friendly. But if we allow him to get into our lives in, or into our head, he will get a grip and he'll work to destroy everything that is good, everything that is right in your life. And let me tell you that Christians are not immune to the influence of Satan. Satan doesn't go, oh, they're a Christian, let them go. In fact, we are targets of Satan, even more so than those are already in his grip. And Satan works in every way in our culture, all around us, Satan works in people who are evil themselves, but he seek to be, seem to be our friend, and Satan worked in our own sinful nature. So as on the outside, you know, in, in the spiritual realm, in the, the culture, and in our own sinful nature. And that's why it's so easy to be deceived sometimes. There are false teachers who deceive, but there are also false believers as well, and false followers. That's what Jesus says next. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. So there are a lot of people who claim to be Christians who are not and who are going to be shocked on judgment day. You know, I would include in this list, and this is the hard thing because we have to be discerning and wise, but we have to not be judgmental either. So we don't want to call people out or anything, but I, in this list, I would include people that might be called a cultural Christian, who the Bible says they have a form of religion, but they don't really have the power from within. And, you know, there might be a form, but, but it kind of stops in that place. It's more posturing or posing. They may identify as a Christian. It's interesting how that word identifies part of our culture, right? You know what it means to identify, right? When you identify something means that you're pretending to be something. You're pretending to be something that you're not. And so when people identify as Christians, but they are not, uh, it can be very damaging. When someone acts or claims to be spiritual, but it isn't real. When they put on the trappings or the, cha- uh, the claims, but it stops there. And you know, we can do that in our culture. We can listen to Christian music and talk religious buzz talk. We can wear Christian messages on our shirt and jewelry and cross them on our neck. We can actually deceive ourselves into thinking that we're Christians. And that perhaps is the most dangerous deception. That's why we have to examine our hearts on a regular basis. That's all. also understand that Christianity is not about re- being religious which is what Jesus condemned, but it's about a relationship, a relationship that actually begins to transform you from the inside out. Not just what you look like on the outside, because you can deceive people and people are deceived. That's religion. Religion is dead, lifeless, and empty. 
You may have all the religious talk and lingo. Uh, you may even know the Bible. Some of the most religious people I know who, who didn't really know Jesus knew the Bible very well, very well. But they don't know Jesus. There's no authentic relationship with God. With God. There may be belief, but no behavior. Knowing, but not doing. James chapter 2 says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is a God, one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. The Bible says that faith without action is dead, and actions without faith is dead. That our faith moves us to our actions. We're not saved by good works. We're saved for good works. You need both. And the Bible says that one day many people will say, look at all the religious things I knew, or look at all the religious things I did. And Jesus will simply say, but I never knew you. I never knew you because you never knew me. We don't have a relationship. Well, there's one more deception. And that deception is building on the wrong foundation or building on sand. Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount with these words. Therefore, everyone who teaches these words of mine, who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So the deception here is thinking that the sand is as strong as the rock. You know, it's a lot easier to build on sand because sand can be leveled out really easily and makes a great looking foundation, right? It seems to be right thing, but there's no depth. The distinction here is all about believing in your words and your opinions instead of believing and building your life on God's words. Uh, you ever watch those little Facebook reels? You know, probably a lot of us do. Some of them are good. Some are horrible, right? But one of these reels had a conversation about the truth of God's word. A Christian asked a skeptic, if you believed that the creator of the universe had written everything in the Bible, would you follow it? And the skeptic replied, I don't know. It depends on whether I agree with it. That's the world we live in today. That's the world of the religious person somewhat with no relationship. If I believe in the Bible and what it says, then yeah, I think it's truth. But if I, if I don't agree with it, I don't think it's truth. Building on the sand is believing in your own words your own sense of right and wrong, your own truth, your own morality, your own will instead of Jesus. That's what building on the sand is all about. And the idea is that you are your own moral authority, your own moral right, and your wrongs are essentially matters of personal opinion, and you will do it your way. That's what Jesus is talking about here. The problem is that Jesus says, a life built on your own personal voice is a life built on sand. And you'll find out how unstable it is whenever the storms come to your life. Whenever you need your marriage to stand or your parenting or your personal world, it won't stand. And when the testing of the end of time comes, it won't stand. Only a house built on the rock of the words and wisdom and truth of Jesus Christ will stand in the midst of every storm. And we will have storms that test our lives and our depth. Now, these three deceptions that we looked at 
thinking that there are many ways when there's only one, thinking it's about a religion when it's about a relationship, the deception of following your own voice instead of the voice of God. All three of these are deadly because they all lead to spiritual death. That's why these deceptions are so fatal. But if you look to Jesus, you will find the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father. If you do that, you will find hope. And Jesus wraps up the Sermon on the Mount by saying, if you believe these teachings of Jesus and obey them, you will be a wise person. Not just wise for the moment, but wise into and for eternity. And you will be a follower of Christ, disciple of Christ. Our mission as a church is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. And that begins with the decision to trust Him as the source of truth, the source of life, the only way to the Father. And we offer that every Sunday, a chance to, to have a conversation about that. And today is no different. We're going to wrap up with a time of response. And I'm going to be up front, and George will step up, Tony will. We're here for you if you want someone to talk to or someone to pray with you or just want to come up and spend some time on your own, maybe praying for yourself, for wisdom, your relationship with the Lord, or praying for people that you know and love and that they might come to know Jesus as Lord. And let me also remind you, I know that um, you know, uh, we, we've been sharing, but every, every Easter, we believe that's a great day for people met, to make decisions to follow Jesus. And so next Sunday, we're kind of calling this a baptism Sunday. We had a class last week, several people attended, and, uh, and we're praying for them. We're praying for you. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ and you've never been baptized. Uh, the symbolism of Easter is amazing when it comes to baptism. That's what we're going to talk about next week as we celebrate. So um, I encourage you to keep this in mind in prayers. If you want to talk about it, contact me anytime. Uh, but, but, but the Lord is just calling you to Him in troubled times. See truth. Do not be deceived by the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and your holy word. God, God thank you that you enlighten us and you show us truth. God, thank you that there is plenty of proof that it is truth. And Lord, I pray in the face of a difficult world and time that you give us courage and boldness and strength to hold tight to you. And Lord, I pray for those that maybe have not made a decision and not crossed the line of faith just yet. Perhaps deceived, perhaps procrastinating, Lord, whatever it may be, that you would, would prompt and, and nudge all those who need to respond, Lord, and nudge all of us closer to you. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.